0: This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of
1: Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. Dave, how are you getting on and how is the haircut?
0: Long, messy and it's a different angle today. (laughs) don't know if people are going to notice but... The way need the cameras <laughs> positioned, it's, uh, it's side-on, so people are getting a side-on profile here. Uh, but, yeah, except for that, mate, all good. Looking forward to the uh, to the show.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot going on, honestly, in the outside world, no. but thank God uh, we've got football, really. Um, we did have Manchester United. We're going to talk about that. And we're going to look ahead to Burnley. And... Um, Usually, don't tend to preview the FA Cup games, and we have got Manchester United coming up, but it's probably going to be United and Bernie this episode, so you know we'll see how we go, see how we get on. But in terms of Manchester United, then, uh, what are your thoughts, Steve?
0: Um, strange, strange game, really. Um, uh, I feel like there was those there was moments throughout, uh, Liverpool started quite well, I thought, seemed to get in good positions. Uh, had obviously, you know, they had eight shots in the opening thirty minutes. Although nothing was really spectacular, was it in terms of like high quality chances? But they were working themselves into you know good positions. But uh, it felt like they lost the grip a little bit of the game the longer it went on. And you'd, you'd probably say United finished stronger. So yeah, a bit of a strange one.
1: Yeah, um, I think part of the match went for me as expected. Uh, other parts. Maybe a little bit less. So I thought in the first half an hour specifically, Liverpool were really free flowing. You know, the shackles felt like they were off a little bit. Obviously, Liverpool Liverpool hadn't previously won a game in three matches, and I think in that period, I think we maybe scored one goal. Still haven't scored, but uh, I think the way we went into the game, it just felt a little bit like it just felt a little bit more natural. But then, maybe after the half hour period progressed and we still haven't found the net maybe then it planted a little bit of a seed in our heads I mean if you go into to understand that, Dave and check the, um, the expected goals timeline, the, the race map you know Liverpool are very much the dominant team for about an hour really in terms of um, what they've generated on the scoring opportunities side and stuff and then very late in the match United end up virtually evening it out with uh, two big chances but I think in terms of the game, you yeah, know, I, I, I said 1-1, one, one previewing it. Um, Can't remember what you said, but it just, it, it just went roughly as expected, I thought, apart from, you know, the first half an hour, was Liverpool really, really on a, on the game, I suppose.
0: Mm, yeah. So, you know, they, they started well, and it, it just felt like, you know, getting into that, it feels like they progressed into the final third quite, quite easily. Um, and I know some of that ties in with the fact that United sat fairly deep um, allowed them to do so. But I still thought, you know, Thiago progressed the ball well through the lines and, you know, Robertson, Alexander-Arnold were getting touches in the final third. Uh, a lot of the stuff that you, you're used to with Liverpool, but there just wasn't that same kind of uh, quickness in the decision-making in and around the penalty area. Because even though... As I touched on there, there was eight shots in the opening 30 minutes. There was only maybe one or two that felt like a good chance. A lot of the other times it felt like just kind of snapshots and um, nothing of note, I guess. Um, so yeah, that that's, that's basically our team to pan out.
1: To be honest, what you've just said there, if it feels like that's been the case for uh, quite a while now. Like, Liverpool beat when Liverpool beat Crystal Palace 7-0. That was... um. Exactly a month ago, I think, today, I didn't actually realise it was that far, it was that long ago. And, you know, it's been so many games since whereby Liverpool haven't really clicked, I suppose, maybe is the word. And I think what you've just mentioned there in terms of the, uh, the score and opportunities Liverpool generated, the shots, again, it's, it, it felt again like similar to the, the past three games. There's been no real chance where you've thought, has to put that away. Or, or that that's, that's relatively easy to finish, or, you know, he had time to shoot there with no pressure on the ball. Every shot that Liverpool seem to be taking lately seems to be pressurised, rushed, in a busy area from a tricky angle. It, the whole putting, putting a shot on a plate ha- isn't really happening of late. No, no, it isn't. And, um,
0: you know, what I think's interesting... Interesting to see what you say as well. Um, you know, we banging the drum a little bit in the summer, weren't we, about um, how it's important that you start seeing a little bit of evolution for the side because it's been quite sim- the same now for maybe two two or three years. We, we kind of saw Thiago as, as some of that evolution, you know, a player who can progress through the lines with kind of short, precise or, you know, just really precise passing, I guess. And, um, but he hasn't been able to play many games so far has he? Uh, and Liverpool kind of been setting up how they usually do. I know, ironically, this changed a little bit in this game, but a lot of sides have, have success to Liverpool doing the same thing this year. They've just really, you know, sitting in, uh, trying to nullify cl- closing the spaces and it does feel like Liverpool's struggling with it. You know, it feels like we know teams historically in football tend to create a winning formula and benefit from it. And then it's, it's on the the opponents to catch up and try and find a way to stop it. And that's kind of just how football works. Uh, And normally the great side, like United on the face and they tend to just evolve and find new ways. And um, I don't know if, if Liverpool just haven't been able to do that so far this season, that's why they're not able to, you know, repeat what they what they've done in the last two years. I think the obvious caveat is there's big injuries that are massively upsetting things a little bit, but it's uh, it's interesting to see whether that's what, what's happening at the moment.
1: Yeah, the, the strange thing, though, with that is um, it's it, it just doesn't really... The approach that has been taken by opponents hasn't really been anything special, and it's been the type of approach that Liverpool have just found breakthroughs through for the past few seasons. Like I think there was a point up until fairly recently, at the end of last season, maybe, whereby Liverpool had won something like twenty matches in a row against newly promoted teams. You know, the whole the whole shout that Liverpool couldn't really break down a low block was kind of eradicated for a period. I thought that seems to have returned a little bit. I mean I looked at the after the United game I looked at the numbers for Liverpool's season across the Premier League only. And I just I tried to look at the past four in isolation almost compared to what everything that came before. And there's not a great deal of difference across most of the numbers. Um you know the the number of shots the number of shots that hit the target maybe um average distance of the shots taken I think the expected goals per shot has taken a little bit of a hit. Like, expected goals per shots against United was 0.1. Against Newcastle, it was 0.1. Against West Brom, it was 0.1. And against Southampton, it was 0.07. Before that, our average for the season is a little bit higher than that. I think around 0.13. There's not a lot in that. Um, but I think if you look at the defensive side of things there was, there was one specific change in terms of liverpool's pressing um and i don't think it's specifically liverpool taking the foot off the gas but maybe just getting the opportunity to press less basically so up until and including crystal palace liverpool had only had two games all season whereby we had um, pressured the ball fewer than 100 times in a game. That was 90 against West Ham and 94 against Spurs. And then we faced West Brom. And in the West Brom game, there was only 58 pressures for Liverpool. Then we faced Newcastle, 87 pressures. Then we faced Southampton, 86 pressures. So, Liverpool's Three lowest press counts, if you like, of the season came in a row, and Liverpool didn't win any of them. Against United, it boosted right back up to 147 presses. Um, but I just, I just felt like, you know, looking at that, may, maybe that, I think rather than in that interesting to Liverpool not trying as much, I think maybe it just captures a stylistic thing there, whereby you know, West Brom have won the points. Newcastle have won to the point, Southampton took a really early lead and as a result Liverpool have kind of been nullified in terms of generating shots through pressing and it's instead been a complete possession game from start to finish which Liverpool have improved in in recent years but lately don't seem as suited to doing for some reason.
0: Mm, Yeah, I mean I was just about to mention it but you've, you've basically finished on the point I was about to say that a lot of that probably ties into the fact that They've dominated possession, so there's going to be less pressing opportunities, isn't there? But I mean, that kind of tied into the point you were trying to make at the end there. Um, which I think is true. I, I did notice yesterday I was doing a piece of the, the echo, um, it was a conversation I was having as well. Um, just about Liverpool, I was looking in um, at shots because you know, I thought it was quite interesting. Klopp said, didn't he? Um, you know, we always miss chances. after the match. He said, we always missed chances. Then we'd have another. We'd, we'd then use, and that's how it is. Um, and I wrote on it, I saw Sam Maguire wrote a similar piece on, on 23, uh, looking at the shots. And it does seem that, well, I'll go through it and I'll use Sal as the example. Sal has had nine shots in the previous four matches, which is, you know, breaking down if it was a pair 90 average of 2.25 obviously we we always talk about him being a volume player i think last season he was he was average, averaging close to 3.7 shots per 90 um so you know that that drop to, from 3.7 to 2.25 is a lot really for a player like salah who does kind of rely on volume to score doesn't he like he takes a lot of shots and if he's if he's getting you know 1.5 shots fewer per game that is going to affect his his goal record um so he seems to be getting fewer shots. Mane does. Liverpool's two most dangerous. But then there seems to be an increase for, for me now of about 20% you know, over these last four games. So he's having about like 50% of Liverpool's shots. And um, you know, he's not the he's not the best finisher, is he? We were talking throughout the game about his performance in general. But he's I in fact your tweet, it probably summarises it. Um the one where you said, you know, the last person you probably want a chance to fall to is your number nine from a Liverpool perspective which is which is a bit crazy but it is yeah. true and yeah and what we're seeing is he's he, at this present time we don't know if maybe it's to do with Thiago being able to you know penetrate a little bit better so he doesn't need to drop in as much um, but he's getting more chances the other two aren't and obviously he's not clinical
1: Yeah I mean um, you just mentioned Sadio Mane there and the front of you in general I think this is probably a good little time for me to bring in the, the performance numbers for the season. I wrote about this yesterday. Uh, if you want to read the actual piece on it, just check out my Twitter at distance covered and it's the latest piece for liverpool.com. But I think Liverpool's under slash over performance. Have you seen it, Dave, this season?
0: Uh, the, like, like just the, the performance numbers in general?
1: As in performing above or below expected in terms of the goals you're expected to score. Yeah, yeah, it? probably. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, i looking at
1: that. Well, it's it's taken quite a hit. I, I hadn't actually realised. Um, but the numbers from the piece, they, they are quite interesting because, uh, you know, Liverpool in 2017-18, which I think was Salah's first season, Liverpool overperformed their expected goals in attack By 11.9 goals. So they scored 11.9 goals. Than the average team. Would have if they had took the same. Shots from the same locations if you like. The following year. Liverpool again. Overperformed by 10.7 goals. And then last season. Obviously we won the league. We overperformed again. By 10.3 goals. This season. Liverpool currently. Underperforming by exactly one. Um, and this is ex- all excluding penalties, by the way. All of those numbers are excluding penalties. Um, so Liverpool have gone from being a team that scores roughly around 10-11 goals more than expected per season, which comes down to, you know, your finishing, um, maybe getting the odd goal from a set-piece, which your expected goals would value quite low because it's just a header, but from a set-piece maybe you, you can make use of that and start performing above expectations and stuff. Liverpool have gone from that to, you know, a, a minus one underperformance is basically, although it's underperformance, it's still very close to performing as expected. So Liverpool have gone from performing, finishing, sorry, an attack like a superhuman team in a way to finishing like an average team. Um, and it's it's taken a bit of a hit on the, uh, the overall results, I suppose.
0: Mm. yeah yeah. on that point it does make you think obviously it'll, it'll vary from model to model um, and it's it's really important, important to point out how we know XG isn't an exact science you know there's just plenty of flaws in it but it's still the best of what we have really performance in the key to the guess and, you know, Liverpool did finish about was it something like 25 points over the expected points last season uh, yes, I know it was high yeah, yeah. so yeah, you know, on that basis, was the only um result this season going to be some form of regression? You know, would it for that to happen again? I know there was an overperformance the year before, but to happen again like that, it's it would have been a huge shock, wouldn't it? So are we really just seeing a bit of regression that couldn't well, have been escaped?
1: All I'd say on that though is is the overperformance has In attack has been a a constant for three seasons. Like, um, in the piece, I actually uh, accumulated it. So over the past three seasons, that means Liverpool have overperformed in attack by 32.9 goals. So Liverpool have basically, basically over a three-year period, scored 33 goals more than the average team would based on the same shots. If you like, um, and mm-hmm. compared that to rivals of the, of the big six, just the big six teams, the only team that's overperformed to a greater extent is Manchester City. And most of that was in, I think, City's first big season under Pep. I think they overperformed by about 22 goals in attack. Um, then Liverpool, then Arsenal, then United, then Tottenham, and then Chelsea over the same three year period have only overperformed by over five goals. Um, but I think it's insistent because you know, obviously, the Liverpool game against United. <coughs> um, the expected goals on the day Liverpool posted one point five, and United posted zero point nine. Sixteen shots for Liverpool to Manchester United's eight. But again, as I said, you know, no goals. So if you're posting an expected goals of one point five, and you're not scoring, and that happens four weeks in a row, really. You're gonna to get to a point whereby you perform below expectations, even though slightly before that, Liverpool managed to bag seven against Crystal Palace from an expected goals of about two and a two and a bit, three maybe.
0: Yeah, I know. Well, it's um, you know, it's it's quite <laughs> it's quite interesting, really. It, my my opinion is probably that, um, Liverpool, you know. Liverpool are probably, you know, if we talk about that overperformance. my opinion is, you know, the way you talk about the regression to the mean. I don't think that the mean is is the uh, the XG number. I don't think the average is what Liverpool are. I think this they are expected to be above average, aren't they? But you're looking maybe not to the level it was last season, maybe some a middle ground in between. For example, the way it is now. It looks horrendous, doesn't it, if you're someone who just focuses on, on goal scores. Obviously, we don't. We look a little bit deeper than that. I'd say, you know, this isn't going to continue. I do believe that the people are going to start scoring goals again. But um, where they, they're probably not as the overperformed as they were last season, but they're not kind of where they are either. They're going to kind of be as it mellows out somewhere in between, I think, is the best way to summarise that. Anfield on the Blood Red Channel.
1: If you look back at those past three seasons, you you could argue Liverpool are due a bit of a streaky patch on the positive side. Now, Liverpool are due a bit of luck, whatever you want to call it, because it's a team that tends to overperform by about 10 goals, and Liverpool are currently underperforming by one. So that tends, and, and if you look at how important underperformance tends to be. Just for a bit of perspective on that, the current top six in the Premier League are all over, overperforming in attack, except Liverpool. Um, Spurs overperforming by six, Everton overperforming by four point nine, United overperforming by three point three, Chelsea three, and City only just City overperforming by exactly one. Um, so I, I suppose it's. A bit of a hat's off to Liverpool that they're still in the top four, despite being the only underperforming team when it comes to finishing your shots. But it's just something that's got to turn around relatively quickly because mm. you, you, you need goals to win the league. It's kind of as simple as that. As you mentioned, against Manchester United, all of Liverpool's shots, or big shots at least, fell to Alberto Firmino, who isn't the man for that. I may, maybe you could say. And I think obviously you mentioned earlier about Liverpool developing and stuff like that and moving forward and things. I won't say it. I think if Liverpool have would have had their usual team plus Thiago plus Jose, you know that's that's a serious outfit. And I think Liverpool have probably got a bit of a lead in the in the division if that's the case. But I think the it's been quite an unfortunate period for the team because injuries have been thrown at Liverpool and know the centre-back problem and at the same time now for the first time in a book, well, first time it looks like the, the front three aren't really firing as normal and, and able to get Liverpool out of trouble so it's kind of um, a multitude of hurdles Liverpool are trying to jump over at the minute.
0: Yeah, I think the uh, the jota point's really important as well because when we were talking about that needing to freshen up and evolve that was something big we said that that kind of Front line needs to go from three to four. You need cover in each position, so you need a versatile forward and you need someone clinical. Jota has been perfect. All right, he come in on a on hot street, didn't he? And I'm not saying that he was going to score like that consistently, uh, because it probably wasn't sustainable, but he, he's still proven that he's going to be a clinical forward. Um, kind of exactly what Liverpool needed. And his in- injury has, has turned out to be massive, hasn't it? Um, Huge, in fact, and I think in these tight games, because one thing you will say is that the games have been settled one goal either way, or uh, draws, haven't they? And just when you need someone to be a little bit more clinical in front of goal, he, he could have been that person and he could have turned a, a couple more of these draws into victories, uh, or maybe you know, rescued something at Southampton, turned that from a defeat to a loss, and would have just made the record that bit better. Um, so, you know, he he's important to point out because he's been a big miss.
1: Yeah, I mean, was this better? I think that's one thing we we need to maybe touch upon. Was this a better performance? Does this offer hope? Could this have gone differently? Or was this, could you group this with the previous three? Um,
0: Yeah, I think what's interesting is, um, on the back of a few theories of people saying that players were playing a little bit more reserved because of, that you know, trying to support the makeshift centre backs. That's something the fans have been saying over the past few weeks. I tried to look into it, and what I found, to be honest, just was—I don't know if you had a chance to look yourself—a lot of the the kind of individual performances from that game on Sunday were mirrored from the fixture 12 months ago, the one that Liverpool won two 0 You know, there were similar amounts of touches in the attacking third for Robertson and uh, Alexander Arnold. Um, you know, they seem to progress the same way. Just the key difference seems to be the issue that Liverpool have got at the moment, and that's kind of you know scoring goals, creating real clinical, uh, clear cut chances. So I think the performance is still all right. I think it's it's not all doom and gloom. I expect things to pick up. United, it was a decent performance because you know they were coming. United come coming that game flying. Really, could have been a big statement for them. They would have really wanted to win it. They didn't, uh, and beyond finishing strong, they didn't at, at any point really dominate Liverpool, so that's a positive, but the the lack of goals does tie in with the ongoing issue, I think, at the moment.
1: I think aspects certainly improved. I, I liked that Klopp kind of seemed to recognise the issue and started Shaqiri in midfield, and I, I don't think he'd have done that if Liverpool went struggling for goals so I think just kind of adding another player who's got goals on his side and just general threat on his side I think was a positive um and I do think in specifically in the first half Liverpool did look threatening and stuff like that. I mean it's easier said than done creating clear cut opportunities against the Manchester United defence who it that is more than willing to, to drop quite deep and I think unfortunately for Liverpool I think a defender like Harry Maguire, for example, I think he's actually better suited when he when he's allowed to drop that deep. So mm-hmm. I think Maguire was probably better suited to perform against Liverpool like that, as opposed to if if he was going toe to toe with maybe a, a lesser opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, was it a good point? Was it a, a moment lost? Was it a, a lucky escape even. I mean, I suppose you could even look at that side of things.
0: Um. I think in all, it was a decent point. Obviously, you, the way Liverpool are this this modern Liverpool, they want to be winning every game, especially home games, no matter who they play against. That being said, yeah, I think it was a game you definitely didn't want to lose because there's going to be so many banana skins for every team this year that you know now Liverpool are in a position where within one game week they could be back joint top. Uh, obviously we're, we're forgetting City just for a moment just for a United but you know that closing that gap they would have closed that gap basically in one game week so had they lost it would have been two game weeks um, at half point into the season I still think they could could recover from there but uh, I think it was a game that you would have liked to win but just didn't want to lose um, so on that basis Josh I'd probably say there's a decent decent point
1: I think I'd agree but it's it, it is a tricky one considering the first half dominance that Liverpool had. And then you obviously have to factor in the big chances that United had. I mean, the, the two biggest chances of the game comfortably were Pogba and Fernandez. Um, obviously they didn't manage to score either of them thanks to Allison, who again stepped up. But it's just a, it, it's 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 I suppose it's a tricky situation currently to analyse because Liverpool now I think sits in fourth place in the table. Um, which is a little bit scary. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't think it'll. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's it just feels like a mad season. I mean, Villa have got like four games in hand and, and, and this sort of stuff. And mm. you know, it's it it is a bit mental at the minute. But I think we'll leave it there. Um, too much to analyse when it comes to United. Uh, but we'll move on to what should be on paper at least an easier game. Burnley and Anfield. A uh, few people have got most salads up Captain. <laughs> um, <laughs> Two of them sitting but, on this podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> I actually haven't. I've got him Captain, but not Triple. Um, oh, sorry, yeah, Captain. But yeah. I, I think when it comes to this game, this is the kind of game you'd expect Liverpool to put to bed fairly comfortably, even though I think the last time it happened, I think it finished 1 0. I think I'm right in saying that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'd be any the type of opponents that you want right now in this current situation or are they a bit of a nightmare or, you know, it's a bit of a tricky one, isn't it? <laughs> I
0: actually think it, it, it's, a, it's a bit of a tough, tough enough for Liverpool to crack this one because, in fact, it's quite a big game because they haven't won or scored over the last three. You know, what, what Burnley are going to pose tactically um, is Liverpool's kryptonised at the moment a little bit, isn't it, in the sense that, you know, they'll sit deep, there won't be much ambition to win the game. Uh, from an attacking point of view, I mean. Um, and that they don't concede many goals at all. Like I had a quick look at it, and I think they've been a little bit fortunate to have this record, but they've not conceded more than a single... Sorry, over the since October, they've only conceded more than a single goal in a match once, and that was against Manchester City. Um, so, you know, except for that, obviously not picking up many points, don't score a lot of goals, but they, they don't concede a lot. And obviously, it shows that they're, they're difficult to break down, and that's been Liverpool's biggest issue. So, it's uh, it's not the best matchup, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it, they don't score too many goals. They're actually the only team in the league at the moment who is still in single figures for the season. I think they've only scored nine. Um, and if you look at goals per match, minus penalties, I think penalties are what take. Sheffield United above Burnley in the scoring department. I think even if you remove penalties, the only team that have scored fewer than Burnley is Sheffield United. But then as you mentioned there, you know, on the defensive side, they, they are doing enough, certainly more than Sheffield United are, when it comes to staying in games, keeping clean sheets. Um, and specifically when it comes to Liverpool and finishing and, and all that sort of stuff, putting a chance away, a keeper that you probably don't want to face when that's the case is probably Nick Pope. Um, Tends to be quite a good shot stopper. I think he tends to overperform based on the past couple of seasons. They obviously get plenty of men between the shooter and the goal. Uh, did you write about Nick Pope recently?
0: Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, and I mean, you're basically somewhere in it really well. He's just a He's overperforming in a lot of the metrics, you know, in terms of, like the preventive goals metrics. And even on, you've probably seen it, Josh, even on uh, FB's metrics or stat, stat bombs, uh, you know, he's got like the best performance in terms of XG. Um, he does something, he's really interesting actually, because I was talking about him maybe being a, a top keeper. I think his distribution's untested, um, or maybe isn't good, one of the two. I don't think we can really conclude either way. But in terms of things like uh, shot stopping, he's, he's you know performed the best in the league at the moment. And I thought this was dead interesting, Josh, in terms of uh, defensive actions made away from the goal outside the penalty area. Um, only Alisson makes more. So that's the furthest average distance from goal that he makes a defensive action and highest uh, per 90 average of defensive actions made outside the penalty area because that's obviously stuff that you associate with Alisson with Edison, kind of these sweeper keepers. I thought it was quite interesting that Pope showed up well in that metric this season because it kind of says that he might be able to do a job at a high level. Um, but, you know, back to this game, yeah, he's, he looks a really good keeper. And he's not someone you really want to be facing.
1: That defies a bit of logic, that's to be honest, because uh, yeah. I, can't, I can't think of many instances whereby he'd, he'd have the space even to come outside his box and stuff like that and come far from goal because of how deep Burnley tends to defend. Mm. You know, why is he doing that? But it is interesting, yes. I suppose it's worth looking into further, in fact. Um, Mm. But yeah, Burnley currently 17th in the table and on the attacking side for expected goals, paying 19th, currently 16th. That's excluding penalties. And 17th for shots. So we are kind of facing an attack at least that is very much bottom five worst in the league Um, and if you look at the the players that Liverpool are going to have to deal with I think it's going to be interesting in a way because I think Liverpool have dealt with them easily over the past few seasons because of the aerial strength of Matip and Van Dijk but I think without them too maybe if you've got to use I mean a I think Matt Phillips will probably play, to be honest, because I think one of the few strengths he's got is aerial strength. That's all that the Burnley attack have got. You know, Chris Ward actually, bands good in the air, good physical. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they cause Liverpool more problems than normal without Van Dijk and stuff. But I, st- I just, I still can't see Burnley scoring.
0: No. It, it, I mean, this could be the game where the floodgates open. Don't get me wrong, you know, because I said that one game... Uh, with the, they did concede more than one goal that was against City away um, I think the most similar fixture in the Premier League to City away is Liverpool away um, so you could well see a repeat of it the thing is as well I imagine Sean Dice doesn't really look at these fixtures as ones where you're going to pick points up in you know you'll be looking at, at, at matches closer to teams around him. and for that reason it'll probably filter to the players and if, if Liverpool managed to at one or two goals in the first half then you know, they might come alive and get the confidence back. So it definitely wasn't super- put it this way, I'd be very shocked if Liverpool didn't win the game. I couldn't imagine Liverpool going another game without a win uh, and without scoring. I just think you'll start seeing things come a little yeah. bit back to normal just because how you know at the end of the day you don't become a bad side overnight, do you? And the form at the moment is is of a bad side and another bad side. So for that reason I do expect things to level out again in, in this match.
1: To be honest, you you saying that then, it's quite a scary thought. I haven't actually thought about that if Liverpool go go through another game, either A, without winning, or B, without scoring. Um, You know, if that was to happen again, fifth consecutive game really in the Premier League against another opponent that you've got to beat at Anfield Mm. if you're going to win the title. I'm not sure what will while I'll start to think then. I mean, I'm, I'm already on my way towards questioning whether this is maybe some sort of weird, wider problem. I mean, m- most little narratives that arise, most little issues that arise, I'm very... Uh, I try to be very feet on the ground sort of thing. I don't get carried away um, from week to week. But this is week to week to week to week. <laughs> this is This is about the fifth week now, so... Um, yeah. a little bit more concerned Uh, so yeah. it, it will be uncharted waters I think if, if Liverpool don't go ba- back to normal to some extent this week
0: mm, yeah yeah, it's getting to that point where it goes from being a minor blip to a crisis but you, you, you know it starts impacting what can actually happen this season because you know if City think, carry yeah. on winning
1: go I on. think it would to an extent be a crisis in a way because I think if Liverpool don't win again and teams around them do, then Liverpool will be roughly bang on the halfway point, probably around sixth. Um, yeah, and it, it it will indicate okay a very a very minor crisis, but relatively speaking, com, com, you know, considering the health that Liverpool have demonstrated for years now, this this would be, as I said, unchanceable. I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, certainly this, this kind of clappy era it was. Um, that's why I just don't expect it to be honest. I'd be said I'd be shocked if the uh, if you didn't manage to get. Uh, I mean, I'm just laughing to myself, thinking I'm saying this, but I, through this whole period when we do a prediction, I've tipped Liverpool to win, and uh, I've had egg on me face each time. But I just, I, you know, maybe don't listen to me from a betting perspective. But I, uh, I do fancy Liverpool to. To kind of rectify some of the issues we've had in recent weeks in this
1: game. I mean, I suppose you could you could dumb it down really to a very clear opportunity to to correct everything that you got wrong against West Brom because I think the the I think the threat and the the problem at hand, if you like, is very similar in terms of the way both teams perform with and without the ball. Obviously, the threat similar to West Brom. For Burnley is going to be very much aerial, physical, set pieces, and in attack you just have to show enough unpredictability if you like to to find a way through and to to get a goal from somewhere, whether that's a free kick, a corner, a shot outside the box, a tap in, just a cut back, across, a cross, just any any way of. Finding the net, really, and I can see Klopp starting Shaqiri again, maybe going a little bit gung-ho to an extent, considering the lack of threat that Burn- Burnley offer. Mm. Uh, just another little note as well, one of the, the interesting numbers every season, I I find when you look at the corner numbers for teams, I've never seen a team so keen to play in swinging crosses than, than Burnley. So if on this match um, Liverpool give away a corner, and Burnley don't hit some form of in swinger, I I'll be shocked. Mm. Uh, looking at the season so far, Burnley have taken sixty six corners. Sixty one have been in swinging So they're gonna put it on Alison's on Allison's head really, are and, and and hope that it kind of bobbles in. Which I think incessantly happened a few seasons ago. I think it went in direct uh, from the corner.
0: Yeah it did. I, I, there was complaints over the foul wasn't there but it did uh, it didn't get given a foul and, and it was a goal.
1: Yeah. I mean, and obviously so yeah, without they... obviously without Van Dijk and without Mazup, it's probably gonna be, you know, falling out the sky on the goal line. Mm. Mm. Which is not I'm not yeah. looking forward to, to be honest. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> but we'll we'll round up there anyway. So yeah, the 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 fine point now, the fine finishing point, Dave predictions. This is a big one, this.
0: I'm not enjoying these anymore because uh, we had a, when, when Liverpool were winning every week it was easy for us 100% record I uh, <laughs> no I do uh, as I said You know, I've said it a few times I've egg on my face but um, uh, I'm going to go 3-0 and Salah to score to and get an assist because my me, uh, me fantasy team desperately
1: needs it. <laughs> I want to um, I want to go 2-0 I think Liverpool will be okay on the defensive side keep a clean sheet unless some form of set-piece materialises. I can't see the conceding from open play, though. And I think I think Klopp will go into this game knowing full well the absolute priority is to get the goals flowing again. And I think he'll kind of brief the players before the game that that they need to basically do everything over the course of 19 minutes to put the ball in the back of the net as many times as they can, really, just to get back to scoring ways, because... It's not healthy when you're going for the title. You need to be scoring goals. It's the most important thing in the game for me. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we'll, we should be back next week. Uh, hopefully Liverpool have finally got back to winning and scoring ways. And hopefully we'll climb back up the table. But, Dave, thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks, mate. Thanks, everyone.
1: And thanks for tuning in. See you next week.
0: You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.